Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment, and if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it is said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. As we pause and slow down, we're going to take a moment for what we call breathing prayer, also known as centered prayer. On the inhalation, we breathe, Lord, or gracious God, and on your exhale, lead us by your spirit. Gracious God, lead us by your spirit.
Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. However we find ourselves this morning, right here, right now. Some of us approach these scriptures or this experience of coming to church or this morning with anticipation, with joy, with excitement, with hope, with connection, resiliency. Others of us approach this moment with fear or exhaustion anxiety, or anger, addiction, or depression. In all the midst of the diversity of our experiences and our perspectives, help us to see we have far more in common than we realize. Each of us is created in your image and likeness, beautiful, and each of us is fractured, broken, easily wandering. And your response to all of that is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the personal work of your son, Jesus Christ. So we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed and this world would be renewed. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I remember the first Tesla I ever got to drive in. My friend Jeff in San Francisco had ordered a Tesla in like 2012 online when, when you couldn't even sit in them yet. And he picks me up from basketball and says, do you want to drive it? And I said, yes, I would very much like to drive your Tesla, please. He videoed me, and all you can hear in this recording is we are screaming down a San Francisco side street, which I do not recommend. Just telling you what happened. I'm not saying I'm proud of it. We were not going the speed limit. All you hear, because it's so silent, is the wind coming through the windows and me giggling like a small child, ecstatically. So I've been following these cars for a while. I read this article in the New York Times maybe six months ago about the new autopilot features, because they're always getting upgraded with the processing power and the sensors and all that. So now they have full autopilot mode, which is great. And the article's going really well, until it doesn't. You've seen, you've, you've seen enough of these, you know, autopilot, malfunction, Tesla. Just Google that if you want to waste the rest of today. But you get the picture. It's using all these sensors. It's a smart car. It's going in the right direction. And everything's working great until this Tesla begins to mistake parking lot lines for freeway lines. And it wanders over the driver, immediately grabbing the wheel, jerking it back into the correct lane and avoiding a potential complete disaster. Near disaster. And as I read that article, maybe this is just pastoral nerdiness, but I feel like that's in some ways a metaphor for many moments in our lives. You have this beautiful life with all of these wonderful things going for you. You have these gifts, these passions, these talents. You have people around you who love you and care for you. And by very virtue of this church, I can say that because this church loves you and cares for you. If you have nobody else, you have this community. But so often our processor just wanders a little bit. Next thing you know, we've lost our way. How do you get back? See, we're in the midst of this, this passage comes, so just to remind you, we've, we've looked at Micah 6, 8, God has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, to walk hungry, uh, humbly with your God. 
Uh, last week was Isaiah 58. God's saying, do I need your sacrifices? Do I need your money? Do I need anything that you can possibly give me? What I want is your heart. And if you go back to last fall, we did a whole series on the Beatitudes, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is where this comes right after the Beatitudes part. So you can, you can zoom in on what these attributes look like of a blessed life, a peacemaking life, a humble life, a connected life. But now he gets really, really specific about what this looks like in three particular areas around anger, sex, and truth. And I do have to comment. So after we read the scripture on Sundays, we say the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. That might have been the least energetic thanks be to God I've ever heard in this congregation. But it tells me you were paying attention because that's hard to listen to. It was heavy. Did you feel like your shoulders were getting heavy as you listened to it? Because scripture comes to you and never leaves you unaffected. It's not neutral. It does something to you. It'll challenge you. It will encourage you. And scripture has this worldview that says we live in a beautiful world that God created. And at the end of each of the periods of creation, God punctuates it by saying it is good. It's good. Then humanity, the crown of of creation made in the image and likeness of God. And God says it is very good. We live in a good world, a beautiful world. We live in a fallen world and a broken world and a fractured world. And Jesus comes with a whole new way of being human, a blueprint for becoming fully, genuinely, genuinely, gloriously human. Jesus has come to pioneer and make possible new ways to thrive individually and then in your role in community. It goes deep to the roots of your personality. And it produces an entirely different pattern of behavior. So the question is, what is your compass for how to live in this world? Everybody has one, whether or not you're aware of it. How do you set your autopilot? What are the guidelines? What are the goals? Maybe as sailors would say, what is your true north, your north star? How do you, where do you get your guidance? And how is it working for you right Now, Jesus comes and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will guide you. I will walk with you. I will be there with you. Follow me. I just want to point out also that in each of these categories around anger, sex, and truth, those three kind of sections there, Jesus' advice is almost completely opposite to what our modern culture gives us regarding anger. We're in a very dangerous place, even spiritually within kind of the American church, because all that a group of people needs to do to show that they are righteous is just prove that they feel like they're right. And then love goes out the window. Forgiveness goes out the window. Reconciliation goes out the window. You know, it's not uncommon to find a church that says, we are all about love, all about grace, all about forgiveness. But the subtext is, unless you don't believe like we do, and then you're an evil bigot and we hate you. So it's, we, we can weaponize pretty much anything. We live in a political system that says if you think they're wrong, just throw stones at them, demonize them, scapegoat them. And it leads to not only social media violence and media violence, but it leads to actual violence, as we saw at the Capitol. And here comes Jesus with radical reconciliation in verses 21 through 26 which begins with the Ten Commandments. So he starts with the greatest hit that the people would have already known. You know that it says, thou shall not murder. Got it. Everyone's agreeing at this point. 
But I'm going to tell you it goes even deeper than that. Because you can live your whole life without murdering somebody and still have character assassinated somebody every single day. And it will still dehumanize you and eat you up. He's saying, having a reconciled, healed operating system for relationships is at the core of being fully alive. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus actually gives two ways to do it. So before we focus on Matthew 5, there's a place in Matthew 18 where Jesus gives some rules of engagement for the community of faith. Very specific. When you recognize that someone has wronged you, Go to them privately one-on-one. I think today we'd say as long as that is a safe, healthy, appropriate boundary, right? If this person's violent, please don't go to them one-on-one. If you realize someone has hurt you, go to them one-on-one. Give them a chance. Give them a chance to make it right. But if they don't listen to you, go and bring along one other brother or sister from the community so that then they can hopefully realize the error of their ways. And if they still don't listen to you, then bring along the rest of the church. But the point is restorative, not retributive to help bring this person back in the right relationship. So that's Matthew 18. In some churchy congregations, they'll say, you know, did you do the Matthew 18 with them? Have you gone to them first? Okay, but this is different. This is not when they've done something to you. This is when you realize you've done something to them. And you're coming to the altar with your gift. And what that would look like, there's only one temple. Plenty of synagogues, one temple. Jerusalem, that is the place. They are not currently in Jerusalem. They're in Galilee. Three days walk away from Jerusalem. So imagine what Jesus is saying. If you're on your yearly pilgrimage to Jerusalem and you're giving a sacrifice at the temple, you've already bought a goat or a pigeon or whatever your budget allows for that. And you realize that back in Galilee, somebody has something against you because you've wronged them. Leave the goat there, walk three days back, make things right, and then come back before me three more days. Take a week. Do you hear what he's saying? This is critical. This is not tangential or extracurricular. To be someone who prioritizes reconciliation and relationship is what it means to be a human being. That's our, that's our native language, is to be connected to one another, but we've forgotten how to speak it. And so he challenges and presses. So the gospel comes to you today and surprises you and says, who are you being invited to forgive? And there can be many steps to it. This is one of the things we do in community groups is we encourage and help each other to go out and forgive. So we can come back and go, oh, it's so hard and I'm so mad at this person. And we go, I know, we're gonna start by praying for them now. Or someone could say, I'm so hurt by this person. We'll say, I know, what can we do to resource you to get some healing? but we do it together. Who are you being called to forgive? Note, I'm not phrasing it, who do you need to forgive? This is not guilt. This is not shame. This is not manipulation that you need to do this or you're a bad person. This is, who are you being invited to be freed from? Radical reconciliation, or what we might call urgent peace. Urgent peace. Then it goes on, verse 27 through 32 Radical romantic relationships. First of all, this word here used often, adultery. Okay? It's a word that is in the ether of our society 
but we hardly ever say the word. It's so interesting, right? Like people, for, for those friends who are already married, according to Jesus, you are married to someone, you are looking lustfully at somebody else in your heart, you've already committed adultery. We'll get to that word in a second. But like they sell everything from Diet Coke to jet skis to timeshares trying to get you to look at other people with sexual intent. You know, then you can have that relationship instead of this one. You, you know it, you see it. So just understand that we're swimming in this. What's the word adultery? If you look up the word adulterate, you see, maybe you see this in the grocery store, unadulterated orange juice. What is it? It's orange juice that hasn't been watered down. To adulterate something means to make it inferior or weaker by adding extra ingredients, usually of lower quality. Unadulterated orange juice is pure orange juice. Jesus says you commit adultery in your heart, you commit it with your eyes, you commit it with your mind, you are watering down your love life, speaking to people who are in committed relationships with each other. And I see this because our society says the true pathway to sexual liberation and joy is to take off all the constraints. Do whatever you want. Nobody else can tell you what to do. You end up using your body like a playground, your mind like a playground, other people. And it does not, it does not make you more human. It dehumanizes you and other people. I have never, I've pastored plenty of people who come to me with plenty, you know, plenty of the human experience. I have never can't remember in 21 years of ministry, and this is five years on college campuses also, having someone say, I completely let the way that I view other people go in terms of sexuality. I just went out there and gave it, all, gave it my all for a prolonged period of time, and I feel better about myself. I just never heard that. I heard I felt better about myself for an evening or an hour, and then there's this nuclear fallout of just being distanced from yourself, from others. This is Jesus 2,000 years ago saying, I call you to something more beautiful. Are you seeing how this is a, a beautiful invitation? Not a big, huge weight to put on your shoulders. And then he goes on. This, first of all, let's just elephant in the room here. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Okay. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If you have anybody in your life who says, I take all of the Bible literally from beginning to end, every word of it, say, then why haven't you cut your eye out yet or taken your hand off yet, right? Nobody takes the entire Bible, literally all of it, because Jesus is using a rhetorical device. Just like it was an exaggeration in the first part about anger, if you realize that there's distance, you walk three days, you make it right, you come back, he's saying, that's how important that is. This is how important it is to treat each other with respect and how we think about each other and how we look at one, one another. Take, in other words, take this, this seriously. Cut out anything from your life that needs to be taken out in order for you to pursue me and to love others like this. And then he continues. Verse 31 through 32 now moves toward marriage. Now what's going on here? There's a lot going on here. There's like college courses on this. There's books written on this. But at the highest level, first of all, in this context, this particular context, a patriarchal society, where if a man was to divorce a woman, all of the property, all of the standing in society, all of that was unfortunately belonging to the man. And so if he just divorced his wife because he didn't like how she looks anymore, or she didn't, he didn't like how she talks anymore, he is functionally making her a widow in society with no access, no power, no recourse. And they were able to do that. So first of all, Jesus is saying, you have to understand that you're abusing the power you have in society and you can't just go divorcing people and treating marriage like it's, um, I'm thinking willy-nilly is the word I'm thinking. It's not throwaway. 
I think also what Jesus is saying is that marriage is sacred. That it's actually at the heart of marriage is covenants. Not feelings, not sexuality, as much as those two things are wonderful. Not kids, not the hope of having kids or having the right kids. At the core of marriage is a covenant, a promise. Where you promise to someone else before God, your family, your friends in the state, I will be here not just for you for five or ten years or as long as I feel like it, but till death do us part. He says to treat marriage in a throwaway fashion is actually to treat God's covenantal love optional in our lives. He says, don't you know the purpose of marriage is to experience, to reflect in even a dim way the the never-stopping, never-ending love of God in our lives. The power of marriage is one fleshness. You become a new decision-making, thinking um, organism all yourself to become one. He says, don't treat that in throwaway fashion. Now, Jesus is also a realist. This is not you shouldn't get divorced or you should get divorced. This is, do you sense the weight that he gives the institution marriage? But then he's also a realist and says, and sometimes things end. Sometimes because of our wandering hearts and our incompatibility with each other, there is the necessary divorce certificate here. He holds all of that. But the question is, are you honoring others with your God-given sexuality from your eyes to your heart to the commitments you make? C.S. Lewis has a quote. He says something like, you know, he, he was a, you know, Anglican, right? It's high, high church, the blessed sacrament. He would say, next to the blessed sacrament, the person sitting next to you is the most sacred object you'll encounter all day. They are created in the image and likeness of God. Do we we honor each other like that? And then finally, radical integrity. Verse 33 through 37, this is based on the second commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. He's saying you don't have to swear up and down and cross your heart and hope to die and promise. What if you were known as someone with so much integrity that when you said yes, it just meant yes. And when you said no, it just meant no. It's like that scene in Hamlet when uh, Queen Gertrude says, me, me does think she protests too, much, too loudly. Me, I think she protests too much. With all the no's and no's and no's, like you're coming across like you're saying too many words and you're making me wonder if I can trust you. What if instead you were a person of integrity known for doing what you say and saying what you do? Now, how do you live this out? Because if we stopped the sermon right here, you should throw the flag on the field and say, foul. Because so far, we have, we've heard an invitation, we've heard a vision of what it looks like to be human, but we have not gotten the power in order to live this way. If we stop here, this is merely a self-help sermon, and it's not a Christian sermon. So how do you get the power? You need the fuel for it. You know how important good nutrition is. I found this out um, yesterday, I went up to Palm Springs with my buddy Kenny and did, did the tour to Palm Springs bike ride. It's a 56-mile bike ride through the hills. You're, cli- you're climbing hills for 31 miles, and then you still have 25 miles to go. And it's for charity. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's exhausting. But your, your hydration and your nutrition are critical. I found that out the hard way during COVID when it wasn't this really well-supported race because nobody could meet up together. So they said, well, this, this year, here's the course. Just ride the 50 miles and send us in your GPS coordinates and we'll send you a T-shirt. So I did. 
thinking maybe there'd be a restaurant along the way or something to replenish or rewater, refuel. There was, you want to know how many restaurants there were along the way at 7 a.m.? Zero. So I did 50 miles through Palm Springs with one water bottle, and I was hurting for weeks because I didn't get replenished. You see it. Whereas yesterday, every 10 miles, water stopped. Next one has meatloaf and gravy and mashed potatoes. I mean, they're doing it up. There's bands at these things. It was awesome. So we finished, and we still felt great. So the question is, if you're going to live with radical integrity, radical reconciliation, radical honoring one another in your lives, what's going to help you to actually do that? And I would suggest two things. One is, you have to see how all of this flows from Christ to you first. What if this is not primarily about how you live in this world, although it is about how you live in this world? What if this is primarily about how Jesus comes to you? He is the gift on the altar. He is the spotless sacrifice given for the brokenness of this world that reconciles everything. He is the one who says, I look at you with single-minded intention and I will never divorce you and I will never walk away from you. You can count on me. He is the one whose yes means yes and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, God's grace always goes first. And to the degree you and I can receive that, swim in it, live in it, it not only transforms your life, it changes the relationships of the people around you. But when a church lives this way, it can change the whole world. This is our great invitation. Let's walk together on this path, especially as we prepare for Lent. Now, I told you there was a second one. We come back to this table every week. We come back to this sacrament, remembering Jesus said, take and eat, take and drink. I will give you myself as nourishment for the journey of following me. So as we prepare to come to this table, come hungry. You don't need to come as somebody who has it all together. Come as someone who needs Jesus' nourishment in your life. As we say often, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. And at that very moment, ironically, you're ready to receive. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now, as we listen to these heavy words from Jesus Christ about what it looks like to be a human being in relationships and a human being in society, we pray that you would press deep down into our lives what you're calling us to and what you're doing in our midst. Make us people of radical reconciliation, people of radical integrity, people who radically care for one another, honor each other, and love one another. Lead us by your grace to live into that kingdom where you rightfully reign, where all things are being renewed. And during this time of offertory, as we reflect, we invite you to teach us, to make this very specific to our lives. Help us to respond. Give us the grace to follow you wherever you lead, we pray in your name.